A trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, welcome to the show. Our program is brought to you by great sponsors like the Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, also Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse, and Jeff Staples Real Estate. I've got my friend and fellow wrong thinker, Eric Peters, joining me today. Eric, how are you? I'm feeling peppy today. Uh, I'm feeling the orange glow. <laughs> I was hope I was hoping we could have a little discussion about uh, orange Rona and um, what this means. Yep. T- tell me your reaction. Of course, last week, what was it? Uh, Friday, it was announced the president had uh, had uh, been tested positive for coronavirus. Yeah. Off he went to Walter Reed Medical Center. What were your thoughts? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's not my reaction. It's the reaction of the media to what's happened in the wake of that. So we had this this story that he tested positive, which is as meaningless as saying that you tested up. Really a vicious, vicious assault upon the guy. And here we are just a few days later, and his orange glow is even more orangey than ever, and he's apparently completely fine. And he did the unthinkable uh, a couple of hours ago. I think there was a, an event at the White House, a photo op of some kind. And he took off the face diaper, and the, the media is flipping out over this. Oh, man. Well, the tweet that he released yesterday, and um, I, don't, I don't have the full text of the tweet in front of me, but essentially mm-hmm. he just said, look, don't be afraid of this. Don't let it dominate your life. Uh, take care, you know, be careful, but but uh, get back to living. Um, you know, I survived it, and, and you will too. We have medicine, we have great doctors to deal with it, and the press you right. know, collectively lost their, their poo-poo over it. You know, how, how could he be so irresponsible? And yet, here's the living proof. He's not sure, laying there on a so respirator. Rational? The only thing I find flaw with is that he didn't point out to people that 99.6% of the healthy population has nothing to fear in terms of dying from the Wu flu. And you put that, into, put that number out there, and people can breathe a sigh of relief. And, yeah, nobody likes to get sick. Nobody likes getting the flu. I don't like uh, hugging the god for a day or two if it comes down to that. But uh, I don't live my life in mortal terror, uh, terror of getting a cold or catching the flu. And most people shouldn't live their lives in mortal terror of catching the cold or the flu. Agreed. Well, and, and I'm hoping this is kind of a turning point um, you know, it's it's very encouraging to see that uh, not only did he weather this storm okay, and this this is not to take away from people who have have had comorbidities that have have you know put them on respirators or in some cases you know have have cost people their lives. There is real risk for for a segment of the population, but for the rest of us, it's about time someone in a very visible position showed us that this is not the boogeyman you've been told it is. That's right. You know, I've got a friend who's quite obese, quite quite a big guy, and I would never think to take this guy out on a do it. But the fact that it's dangerous for him to do it doesn't mean it's dangerous for me to do it. And the idea that I should restrict myself based on his limitations is kind of a form of Harrison Bergeroning. I wrote an article about that today, and the references to the the great short story by Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, about a system in which uh, everybody uh, is forced or reduced 
to act as, at the level of people who are the least able, least competent. Uh, if, if you're strong, you are shackled with heavy weights to make you slow. Uh, if you're smarter than average, they make you take a drug to, to dull your brain, and so on and so on. And that, that's what's happening to the country, and that is what needs to be arrested. I particularly liked the examples you used in that uh, column about, uh, you know, for instance, traffic laws. Give, give us some of the examples about how, how even competent drivers are punished for their competency. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there, there are, there, there's many examples. One would be the prohibition in many areas on making a right turn if the light is red. Even if the way is clear, you know, you can see and you've got a good enough sense of spatial relationships to understand uh, when it's okay to proceed and how fast you have to pull into the intersection to avoid creating a problem. A lot of people are perfectly capable of making a safe, competent right on red. But because some people aren't, and you've got the occasional person who will do that deal where they just kind of creep out in front of traffic, and then the other traffic is forced to jam on its brakes to avoid hitting that car, on the basis of that, everybody who can do the maneuver safely is prohibited from doing it. Yeah, and we, we see this uh, in, in terms of, uh, you know, coronavirus, too. You know, it's, it's presumed that if there is someone out there who's vulnerable, all of us should act like we are, you know, 85 years old and uh, overweight and diabetic. Exactly right. Exactly right. And it's framed uh, that we're somehow mean-spirited, selfish people if we don't orient our lives uh, according to that, that kind of a risk. And that, it, it's, it's offensive on so many levels. It's so, it's so wrong on so many levels. You know, if you're older, you have to accept that you can't do things that you could do when you were younger. You, it's outrageous to insist that people who are younger now have to limit themselves because you're limited by old age. Let me pick your brain for a moment here, Eric, um, because I, I've sat back over the last few days and just tried to figure out what is it, what part of human nature makes people so intensely resentful of someone who refuses to be bergeroned and, and to, to live according to handicaps that they don't really need to, to uh, adopt? Well, it's not all people, but there is a sickness um, in, in the human psyche. And uh, though I'm not a religious person, I, I don't think it detracts from it uh, being, being couched or, or, or talked about in this, in this way. And it's the sin of envy. It's the same thing that prompts people who haven't got uh, a Porsche, for example, uh, to resent people who have a Porsche, and rather than say to themselves, well, okay, I'm going to work really hard because I'd like to have a Porsche myself, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to earn the money that's necessary to buy a Porsche. Instead, they want to make it impossible for anybody else to have a Porsche. It's that mentality. I, I saw a very good example of this on display over the weekend, and I, I don't know if you had heard about this, but uh, there was a football game being played in Caldwell, Idaho, and uh, Ammon Bundy, yes, that Ammon Bundy, his son yep. plays for, uh, for Emmett High School. Well, Emmett was visiting mm -hmm. Caldwell. Ammon showed up at the game. Right there at the entrance to the stadium is a big sign, masks are required and must be worn even when seated. And Ammon said, I don't mm -hmm. want to wear a mask. And they said, well, then you can't come in. To which he said, mm -hmm. okay, um, I'm going to stand out here in the parking lot and watch from outside the stadium. I'll pay you for the privilege of watching, but I came to watch my boy play, and they wouldn't take right. his money. So he stood right. out, outside the fence, away from everybody. And by the way, in the stands, people were told, you know, once they sat down, they could take their masks off. Ammon's standing back there, yep. and, and school district officials first called Caldwell police on him and told them, this guy is creating a disturbance standing there watching, mm -hmm. you know, by himself. 
and they wanted the police to, to arrest him for trespassing. Now, to their credit, the police showed up and said, um, this is not a situation. We're not going to make it into one. He's not being belligerent. He's not causing a scene. Um, so they left him alone. But uh, mm-hmm. school officials utilized collective punishment and canceled the game at halftime because there was yep. a guy standing yeah. outside the stadium without a mask. Right, exactly. No harm being done. That's the key thing to understand the motives behind this. Um, but just this this, this vicious feral, rabid animal desire to punish somebody for not towing the line. And and that's the part that I found most disturbing was the number of people who immediately jumped to, to blame Ammon and, and to talk about how selfish and how grandstanding and how just mm-hmm. how awful he was to, to dare show up and not put on the mask. And yet there were plenty of people running around. The coach who came over to talk to him wasn't wearing a mask either. And, and it was the school district officials, it was the little heel clickers in them that chose to cancel yeah. that game. Not Ammon saying, you will cancel the game because I can't watch it. He wasn't sure. making trouble it's for the, anybody. Well, it's the same mentality as the person who uh, discovers that his neighbor has somehow um, not paid whatever the government says they owe on their taxes and takes malicious delight in that fact, rather than saying, you know, that sucks would have been great if he could have kept as much of his own money as possible. I'd sure like to keep as much of my own money as possible. Instead, this kind of person will say, well, because I've had my money taken from me by the government, then you need to have your money taken by the government, too. We all must suffer equally. Yeah, I, there, there's truth to the old adage how misery prefers company. And it's just, it's disturbing to see this. Um, you know, I, I thought Ammon did the right thing. I applaud those police officers for resisting the urge to escalate the situation and make it into something it wasn't. Now, they did go back yep. and file a report. There's a chance that the prosecuting attorney may, in fact, you know, charge him with trespassing. But but you have to ask, for what was the harm? What was he doing that well, actually right. harmed anybody? It, it's going too far. And speaking of, uh, of law enforcement, uh, there was a conference recently in my state, in Virginia, a number of uh, local sheriffs uh, had gotten together uh, to talk about that they're not going to in, be involved in enforcing these, these face diaper decrees, um, the social distancing stuff, any of it, because it's not constitutional and it's outrageous, and they just don't want to have anything to do with it. And that's one of many positive signs that are beginning to spring up. Here we are in fall, but it's these little shoots of freedom are popping up in the bleak grass. And I'm feeling pretty encouraged today as a result of that. Okay, hold that thought. We'll be back. Eric Peters is my guest. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. We are talking with uh, one of my favorite wrong thinkers in the world. That would be Eric Peters from epautos.com. If you haven't visited his site recently, if you haven't uh, made it a regular uh, stopping point on your daily quest for clarity, y- you really should. And Eric, uh, let's let's talk about safety at any cost, mm-hmm. since that seems to be one of the, the prime drivers of society today. Well, let's talk about cognitive dissonance. Uh, uh, the latest airbag fatality uh, was published by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration the other day. This, this was an incident that occurred back in August, but they didn't publicly review it until last week. Uh, a woman was killed by her defective airbag. 
that exploded in her face and cut her to pieces with shrapnel. Now, something like 17 people so far in this country have been killed, and several hundred have been injured, and there are hundreds of thousands of these defective Takata airbags still in circulation, and there's kind of an insouciant response to that by the government. When you contrast it with the, the militant, dictatorial response to this far lesser threat of the Wu flu, particularly with regard to kids, if you think about what's happening in the schools right now and the, 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 the rigmarole the kids are being subjected to from social distancing to face diapering to being made to sit in a little plexiglass cubicle on the basis of a threat that is literally nil, especially relative to uh, the airbag thing. I, I can't. I, the number of kids who have supposedly been felled by the Wu flu is, I think, is on the same order. It's a 17 to 20, I think. But there are 56 point something million school age kids in the United States. As a Takata airbag is considerably higher, yet the government is largely inactive as far as doing a thing to stop the spread of defective airbags. I, I mean, I'm looking at the chart in your article, um, which, which mm-hmm. is showing, for instance, the, uh, the, the risk of, of death by COVID for the age groups. And this, I, you know, I, I have to believe in my heart that most media sources, the ones who, who do the pro-lockdown narrative, they would recoil from this chart the same way that a vampire uh, would recoil from mm-hmm. a bushel of garlic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they will not talk about this, which tells you what their motives are. It's, it's, it's evil is really the only word that I can come up with, that they are not explaining the actual risks to people and instead trumpeting endlessly these cases, the cases, the cases. Well, to get back to the Takata thing, yeah, there's been a recall, but the government has not done a thing in terms of altering the law that says it is illegal for you to disable or defeat an airbag, even if it's known to be defective, even if it's known to be potentially lethal to you. You cannot go to a car dealer and say, hey, look, I know it's going to take a couple of months for you to get the replacement airbag and do this recall, so in the meanwhile, can you shut this thing off so it doesn't blow up in my face? They can't do it, or if they did do it, they'd be subject to criminal prosecution by the government. Well, you know, maybe maybe this is a, a, a fruitless effort, but... I, I just, I feel, you know, you say it's it's sad to have to bring this up over and over, but I feel like I have a duty to say something. I, I watched a video earlier this morning, just a little short clip. I believe it was from Australia, and it was at a funeral. And there's this grieving widow sitting there as her husband is, is laid to rest, and here are the chairs at the funeral home, all, you know, socially distanced, carefully spaced. Well, as this, as this woman is grieving, her son understandably, gets up and moves his chair next to his mom, puts his arm around her. Another family member moves his chair close and puts his arm around her. Mm-hmm. And, and here comes one of the funeral directors. And I mean, in full mm-hmm. woke scold mode, you know, yelling mm-hmm. at him. You have to, no, you have to move that, put those chairs, you have to stay distanced. And I think, okay, not, not even for a moment can, can there be a shred of humanity because corona. Well, by some people... Um, I think it's very, very important that we don't lump all of us in together with these these neurotics. Agreed. And also, frankly, with these sadists, like the person that you mentioned, who's being purposefully cruel um, in a situation that warrants compassion. And uh, those people need to be separated out and identified for what they are. Uh, I think the bulk of people are just trying to do the right thing. They have good intentions. They really don't know what to think, and I think they don't know what to think because they're not being told the tr- truth. Which brings us back to the, the you know the whole 
the whole business of how much of a threat this is to ordinary, ordinary, healthy, not elderly people. And essentially, it's less than the threat of the normal seasonal flu. And these are facts. This is not something that I'm just spitting out on the top of my head. You can go look at the data. You can read the CDC's own quote-unquote. The evidence is there, but the media doesn't report it. The media keeps talking again over and over again about the cases, the cases, the positive tests, the positive tests. And look at the orange man. The orange man has somehow managed to recover from this horrible, horrible, deadly illness, notwithstanding that he's, what is he, 74, 75, and he's overweight. Well, you have uh, written a lot over the years about uh, fear and and how fear becomes kind of a a handy tool for those who who wish to exercise compulsion over other people. Give me your best thoughts on how a person can um, inoculate themselves against that fear manipulation. Well, there's common sense. Just don't give into it. You know, as kids, we learn not to fear the boogeyman, not to fear the dark, that there isn't a bad man under the bed. You know, most parents uh, instruct their kids not to be terrified of everything, to go out and live. It's not about being reckless or heedless of risks. It's just about acknowledging that, by and large, bad things generally don't happen. Good things are more likely to happen than bad things. And it's no way to live to base your life on this foreordained notion that everything that's going to happen to you in life is bad. I think a lot of it has to do with the, the sources by which we, we gain information as to how we view the world. And, and I'm painting with kind of a broad brush here, but so much of the heritage media is it's, it's a prime source of misinformation and disinformation. I, I think uh, the people who choose to unplug... Mm-hmm. Are, are probably the most fortunate people around. And the ones who daily consume, you know, their, their fear supplement from the, the heritage media yeah. are the ones who are in the gravest danger. That's true. And what's happened is a function of the media's obsession with peddling fear because peddling fear helps to generate ratings and ratings help to generate advertising revenue. So a lot of it has to do with just the cynical calculation that this is how you make money. By, by constantly throwing out these goblins and hobgoblins and exclamation points and disaster imminent to the people, it keeps them glued to the setter, keeps them reading, uh, as opposed to presenting reasoned, calm explanation of the events that are going on in the world. Though, frankly, I think that that would be something that the public would really want some of right now, you know, some honest reporting about the truth. Uh, I think that that would really attract a lot of people, ironically enough. They might give it a try. Um- got about 90 seconds or so left here, but Eric, I'm, I'm going to ask you, um, mm-hmm. why do you do what you do? And, and I want to I give some context for why I'm asking this. You could be making a very handsome living being a, a, a media mouthpiece in some of that heritage media. You instead choose to, uh, to walk a slightly different path that's, that's less lucrative, less, uh, you know, fame promoting. Why do you do that? Well, I like to be able to look at myself in the mirror in the morning. That's one thing. Um, and I could never write fraudulently. As long as I've been a writer, I, I've always felt compelled to write uh, the way I see it. Now, I may not always be right. I don't claim to be always right. I'm, I'm sure I've been wrong many times in the past. But I, I want to be able to have my, my compass needle pointing in the direction that I think uh, it should be pointing and not serving as a puppet for uh, somebody else who's stuffing cash into my pocket for one reason or another. I can't, I can't imagine living like that. It's just it's not for me. Well, this, this just highlights, I think, the importance of um, there, we have to continue to build and promote 
um, platforms from which the truth can be spoken. And, and believe me, the algorithms out there are doing their best to keep this from filtering through on social media. They but, are. But I'm they grateful for voices are. like yours. Well, and yours also. Uh, we all have to stick together. That's one, one case where that, that little uh, mantra is actually very, very true. Absolutely. Eric, I so appreciate you taking some time to, to be with me as you do each week. Tell people where they can find your website. You betcha. It's uh, etautos.com. Pretty straightforward. And if they just put my name into any of the search engines, I won't mention the evil one. Use DuckDuckGo <laughs> instead. Perfect. Well, my fellow wrong thinker, <laughs> until next week, have a great one. Sounds great. Thank you, Brian. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, once again, welcome back to the show. So, pretty clear, there is a line being drawn in America right now, and it is uh, not necessarily a political line. I know, the election coming up kind of has this whole thing, and oh, yes, it is, it's Democrats versus Republicans. I don't think so. The line that I'm seeing, and I mean it is a bright, clear line, is the division between those who are ruled by fear and those who are not. And case in point, I don't know if you heard the statement that the the president made yesterday. Uh, He he first of all released a tweet and then actually followed it up with uh, a short video let me let me uh, give that to you. You can you can check this out in his own words. I just left Walter Reed Medical Center, and it's really something very special. The doctors, the nurses, the first responders, and I learned so much about coronavirus. And one thing that's for certain: don't let it dominate you. Don't be afraid of it. You're going to beat it. We have the best medical equipment. We have the best medicines, all developed recently. And you're going to beat it. I went. I didn't feel so good. And two days ago, I could have left two days ago. Two days ago, I felt great, like better than I have in a long time. I said just recently, better than 20 years ago. Don't let it dominate. Don't let it take over your lives. Don't let that happen. We have the greatest country in the world. We're going back. We're going back to work. We're going to be out front. As your leader, I had to do that. I knew there's danger to it, but I had to do it. I stood out front. I led. Nobody that's a leader would not do what I did. And I know there's a risk, there's a danger, but that's okay. And now I'm better, and maybe I'm immune, I don't know. But don't let it dominate your lives. Get out there, be careful. We have the best medicines in the world, and it all happened very shortly, and they're all getting approved, and the vaccines are coming momentarily. Thank you very much. And Walter Reed, what a group of people. Thank you very much. Now, look, I understand he is he is definitely spinning this for some political points. Okay, I'm not going to try to pretend otherwise. But here's here's what's happening that has many of those within the media and those within the uh, the authoritative class, the political class, their heads are absolutely exploding over the fact that the president has has just challenged the narrative. This is such a dangerous virus. Why, uh, you know, our sole purpose of existence is to avoid catching coronavirus. 
Now, I don't buy into that. I think there's a lot more that goes into living life than simply, I avoided getting sick. And when you, uh, when you are laying there on your deathbed at the end of your life, hopefully with, you know, your family gathered around and, and sending you off into the great beyond, you know, with, with love and encouragement, you're not going to be celebrating the fact that, well, at least he didn't die of coronavirus. Uh, you know, there, there, there's a lot more to living than simply avoiding illness. What the president has done here, though, is he has exploded the narrative that this is such a dangerous thing. You have to give us absolute power to to lock your life down, every aspect of it, in order to keep you safe. Now, look, it's a serious thing, and I think he he alludes to this as, as much. He did not feel so good when he was diagnosed and when he went to Walter Reed Medical Center back on Friday. And, of course, some of the sick speculation, well, is he going to die? <laughs> you know, the heavy breathing that accompanied it was, was pretty sickening, but not unsurprising given, you know, the, the, the political uh, aspirations of a lot of members of the uh, political class as well as their, their lapdogs in the media. But here he is just a couple of days later looking Healthy, he looks. He looks like he's full of pee and vinegar. I mean, he's he's as as Trumpish as ever. There's that bravado there. Oh, we've never had a better time. Everything is going good. You know, we've got the best medicines and this and so forth. The point is, he is showing. Even a guy, seventy four years old, that would put him in a high risk category. By the way, um, overweight. He's in okay health, but uh, you know, could be better. And he beat this. And I know you can look for excuses. Well, now, Brian, he had a complete staff of doctors there, and they gave him all these experimental things. The bottom line is, a guy who should be at the highest risk or among the highest risks contracted the disease and is not dying from it at this moment. And I know that that's disappointing on a number of levels to those who who promote this fear narrative, but the bottom line is, he's living proof. I saw a meme yesterday. It just absolutely <laughs> drove it home. Of uh, If you remember the original Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, remember when Willy Wonka walks out to greet the crowd? He comes down the purple carpet, and he's uh, you know slowly walking towards him, hobbling with a crane, a cane rather, and he gets right up to the crowd, and he hesitates. He hesitates for a moment and then starts to fall forward and then, boom, turns into a somersault and springs up. I'm okay. And someone uh, someone took that footage, superimposed Trump's head on Willy Wonka. And, of course, the crowd cheers and goes nuts. And then it cuts to uh, one of the people who was uh, screaming at the sky during Trump's inauguration. You know, because they're so upset. Now, look, this is not minimizing that there is danger And there has been heartache associated with this virus. But you just saw not just living proof of the president talking about don't let this dominate your life. He is proof that for for most of us, it is not going to be the death sentence that we're supposed to believe it is. And so, you know, there, there is just rich speculation. One of the, one of the talking head shows had, uh, I think, about eight different people on a panel. And, and they're, they're seriously asking the question, well, now, the president just said, I may be immune. Is he legally immune? If he says that and someone on his Secret Service team gets the coronavirus, can he be charged with manslaughter for knowingly exposing them? See, that kind of, that kind of fear-driven thinking is, uh, well... It's crippling, to put it mildly, but it's also the product of false choices. 
And this is something that every one of us has to deal with in some way. We have allowed people to play on our fears, to force us into masks, to shut down our businesses, to to dictate who is preferred and who is not. No, they use the word essential. But let's, let's call it what it is. This business, this industry is preferred. Yours is not. And so people are mandated, meaning by force of government, by compulsion, not to work, not to make ends meet. No, you must sit there until we tell you that it's okay for you to work. And, and the funny thing about it, you look at countries like Sweden, which did not enact these kind of strict policies and these mandates, and they seem to have weathered this as well, if not better, than the places that did. We're supposed to ignore that. But the people who love to flex their authority, they can only see a one-size-fits-all approach. I've got to have control. And obviously, one-size-fits-all is not necessarily the panacea that we're told it is. This is where we have to weigh the cost not only of what is seen, but what is not seen. So when you count the costs or the unintended costs of all the prohibitions that have come along with the coronavirus response, that's not the same thing when you're sitting there counting it going, ooh, I don't know if this is worth it. That's not denying that there's danger in a highly contagious virus, and it's not placing materialism over the life or the value of a human life. It's simply weighing the kind of world we create when we allow government at any level to assume such sweeping powers over commerce and, more importantly, over our individual lives. And, and this is the saddest thing of all to me, is there are people uh, for whom their, their natural right to life, liberty, and property, they would gladly give it away if I could just feel safe from the, the current threat of the day, which happens to be coronavirus. But it's clear they would do this for any other declaration of official emergency. Our natural rights are important. They pre-exist government itself. They belong to every human being, and legitimate government exists for the express purpose of protecting and guaranteeing those rights. It doesn't give us those rights, and it is not allowed to take them from us under the pretense of we're just doing this for your own good. Anytime governments are allowed to exercise unlimited or unchecked power, I don't care the circumstances. It doesn't bode well for their citizens. Bertine Schaefer had a, a great reminder about to what prompted or what drove the kind of events that prompted humanity to say never again. She says the atrocities of the century before ours didn't take place because a lot of people hated a lot of other people. Those atrocities were the product of an all-powerful state that could do whatever it wanted to the people living under it. Not a single one of the living nightmares of the Nazis or the Soviets or Pol Pot or Mao or any of the others could have happened without total state power. And once a state has that kind of power, there's very little that anyone living under it can do about it. So in this regard, our principles matter more than plans when it comes to solving problems without creating new and bigger problems. But authoritarians don't really like to think that far ahead. They know what they want. They will force others in order to get it. And fear is the most effective tool that they have to move us in a direction of their choosing. You need to be aware of it and then decide, is that how I want to be? Is that how I want to live my life? This 
is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And we are back. Our program today is brought to you by my friends at the Staples Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Oh, it's a hot real estate market right now. A lot of people are relocating all across the country. And can you blame them? I mean, come on, the places where where riots are going unchecked in the streets for months on end, uh, the places where uh, certain lockdown policies have have absolutely been pushed on people to to the breaking point, I don't blame them for wanting to find greener pastures. If you're one of those people, you're coming to uh, what could be a freer part of the country. You're probably looking for a home, or maybe you're just one of those people who's in the position where you want to refinance your existing home mortgage. You need to talk to my friends at the Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. They have the experience. They have the clout. You realize this uh, this uh, company operates in 23 different states. That's a pretty good chance that to wherever you are, they can help you. Go to staplesmortgage.com. That's staplesmortgage.com. When you talk to them, be sure to mention, hey, Brian talked about you. That's the reason I'm talking to you today. All right. Have you heard about the Great Barrington Declaration? I just became aware of this over the weekend. Um, actually, I guess it was yesterday that, uh, that I, I first saw some of the uh, publications on this. The American Institute for Economic Research, which has led out in terms of being a, a, a wonderful conduit for information regarding COVID-19 and especially the, the costs of the lockdowns and the, the various policies and, and reactions by government officials to the uh, pandemic, they pulled together a remarkable meeting of top epidemiologists, economists, and journalists last week, October 1st through the 4th, and the purpose was to discuss the global emergency created by the unprecedented use of state compulsion in the management of the COVID-19 pandemic. And what emerged from that meeting was the Great Barrington Declaration, which urges a focused protection strategy. Now, I'm going to share this with you in just a moment, but you need to understand that uh, this, this was some top epidemiologists and economists and journalists. And by top, I want to qualify that statement. That means non-politicized. They have no power to gain by saying what they're saying. And if it's, if, if it's something that uh, you, you need to just know the, the down and dirty summary, the, the declaration concludes schools and universities should be open for in-person teaching. Extracurricular activities like sports should be resumed. Young, low-risk adults should work normally rather than from home. Restaurants and other businesses should open. Arts, music, sport, and other cultural activities should resume. Now, this is not throwing caution to the wind. This is taking a measured and reasoned approach to how to uh, protect the most vulnerable without destroying ourselves and destroying our economy in the process something which is lost on most of those who are responsible for, you know, in invoking the lockdown orders and mandates. Now, the primary authors and signers of the document are Dr. Martin Kuldorf, professor of medicine from Harvard Medical School, Dr. J. Bhattacharya, professor of medicine at Stanford University, and Dr. Sunetra Gupta, a professor of theoretical epide- epide- epidemiology from the University of Oxford. And there's a whole list of other co-signers, like uh, several dozen of them. 
And this document is also open for signing by additional medical professionals and practitioners as well as the general public. You can actually sign the document. Follow the link, which I will provide in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com, and, and take a look. I'm not telling you, you have to sign this. I'm saying read it and see if you agree with it. And if it, uh, if it strikes the nerve, maybe put, put, the, put your pen to paper and say, yeah, I would sign on to this too. So here's what the declaration says. It's not a super long treatise, but it says, As infectious disease epidemiologists and public health scientists, we have grave concerns about the damaging physical and mental health aspects of the prevailing COVID-19 policies and recommend an approach we call focused protection. Coming from both the left and right and around the world, we have devoted our careers to protecting people. Current lockdown policies are producing devastating effects on short- and long-term public health. The results, to name a few, include lower childhood vaccination rates, worsening cardiovascular disease outcomes, fewer cancer screenings, and deteriorating mental health, leading to greater excess mortality in years to come, with the working class and younger members of society carrying the heaviest burden. Keeping students out of school is a grave injustice. And they say keeping these measures in place until a vaccine is available will cause irreparable damage with the underprivileged disproportionately harmed. Fortunately, our understanding of the virus is growing. We know that vulnerability to death from COVID-19 is more than a thousandfold higher in the old and infirm than the young. Indeed, for children, COVID-19 is less dangerous than many other harms, including influenza. As immunity builds in the population, the risk of infection to all, including the vulnerable, falls. We know that all populations will eventually reach herd immunity, in other words, the point at which the rate of new infections is stable, and that this can be assisted by, but is not dependent upon, a vaccine. So they say our goal should therefore be to minimize mortality and social harm until we reach herd immunity. Now, the most compassionate approach that balances the risks and benefits of reaching herd immunity is to allow those who are at minimal risk of death to live their lives normally, to build up immunity to the virus through natural infection while better protecting those who are at highest risk. We call this focused protection. Adopting measures to protect the vulnerable should be the central aim of public health responses to COVID-19. By way of example, nursing homes should use staff with acquired immunity and perform frequent PCR testing of other staff and all visitors. Staff rotation should be minimized. Retired people living at home should have groceries and other essentials delivered to their home. When possible, they should meet family members outside rather than inside. A comprehensive and detailed list of measures, including approaches to multi-generational households, can be implemented and is well within the scope and capability of public health professionals. They say those who are not vulnerable should immediately be allowed to resume life as normal. Now, simple hygiene measures such as hand washing and staying home when sick should be practiced by everyone to reduce the herd immunity threshold. Schools and universities should be open for in-person teaching. Extracurricular activities such as sports should be resumed. Young, low-risk adults should work normally rather than from home. Restaurants and other businesses should open. Arts, music, sport, and other cultural activities should resume. People who are more at risk may participate if they wish, while society as a whole enjoys the protection conferred upon the vulnerable by those who have built up herd immunity. There it is, plain and simple. Signed by Dr. J. Bhattacharya, Dr. Sunetra Gupta, and Dr. Martin Koldorf. Again, I'll have a link to this in the show notes. 
I'm not saying this is the be-all, end-all, but can, can we at least agree that perhaps there are other alternatives to the lock-it-all-down mentality, shut-it-all-down? I'm just, I'm, I'm stymied by the amount of fear that drives the thinking of so many otherwise reasonable people. And it's, it's crazy. You know, the, the, the division that we see in our society today uh, politically has been considerable for some time, right? Riots in the streets, yeah, that's a pretty considerable division. But the one that causes me the greatest concern is not that political division. It's the division between those who are being ruled by fear and those who are not. And, and I just, I've seen this play out over and over again. People fighting and arguing to the death on social media about, uh, you know, one aspect or another of, you know, this is why you have to do this. This is why you have to do that. And, and, and welcoming coercion, welcoming the boot of the state on the back of everyone's necks. Why? Because I'm afraid. I'm scared. And this, people are dying. <laughs> Life has risks. And infectious diseases are part of the risks that we face. And no, no one is suggesting let's just throw caution to the wind and let's all go around giving everybody a nice deep French kiss, you know, every time you meet them. No. But at some point, we've got to apply wisdom as opposed to simply fear. Wisdom is knowledge properly applied. And most of the policies that have been imposed on us, again, by coercion, by compulsion, by government force, they make no accommodation for wisdom. It's you do it this way or else. And we're starting to see those costs economically. But more importantly, we're seeing those costs in terms of how free we are or were, as the case may be. I know this isn't necessarily a popular point of view. And I'm long past the point where I'm concerned that somebody might disagree with me. Oh, no. What will I do? Like many others... I believe that I have an absolute duty to, to be a voice of warning when necessary. And I think this is one of those times where it's absolutely necessary. Sitting it out, playing it safe, quietly hiding like a little church mouse just isn't an option. Because there's way more at stake here than simply we're going to avoid disease until finally we have defeated the virus. We have to be willing to live our lives, even with risk, you got to be willing to live. This is The Brian Hyde Show.